seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand, please. We want to make sure that everybody gets an outline so that way you can follow along with me in the beginning portion and the introduction. And then also the, the second reason why we want you to have these outlines, not only so you can take notes, but also so that way you can discuss. As, we, as I remind you every week, right now during the summertime, we do not meet weekly in our small groups, our Connect Life groups. But during the months of September to May, we do meet together. We get together in different homes and we discuss the scriptures. We go over the scriptures that we're preaching. We talk about them. And so it's easier for you to have those discussions if you are taking notes and then you can also remember there's some questions that are in there you can write those answers down as we go through the sermon and then you can discuss uh, in in the small groups but what I did challenge you in the beginning of the summer when we stopped our connect life groups was for you to utilize these outlines in order for you to have some conversations in order for you to talk to some people and to be able to talk to family time when you have devotionals you can utilize them for your family devotionals or you can have conversation with people that you're trying to figure out some ways to talk to them about Jesus this is a good opportunity for you to utilize the outlines for that. And so we all have our outlines. So we'll start off here looking at the outline. First paragraph says, here we have a historical event that surely took place, which clearly portrays the aspects found within the other gospels and is a rich example of the ministry of Jesus to sinners. Now we'll continue to the second one here, the second um, paragraph. This portion of scripture is excluded in some earlier translations of the Bible and even moved into the gospel of Luke and some others because it is hard to place it chronologically. However, most commentators, scholars, and theologians would agree that this portion of scripture is fully canonical, even though it has been understood by textual scholars for centuries to be out of place. Now, I want to pause for a moment. The reason why I put this in here in your outline is because it would have been real easy for me to just kind of skip over that fact in there and just act like, well, that really doesn't matter. But it does matter. You know why? Because if you're ever talking to a skeptic, you know what they're going to do? They're going to talk about things in your Bible that are messed up. Are you here? We talk about stuff that's not there. Well, you know, this scripture wasn't there or that wasn't there or, you know, whatever. They're going to be discussing those types of things. And this portion of scripture may come up. And what I want to tell you is there's no need to run away from stuff like that because we serve a big God. Amen. You know, our God, I, I like to say it like this, you know, in, a, in the metaphorical sense, our God has broad shoulders, and so he can handle all of the hate mail. He can handle all of the things that people try to do to discredit his word. What I want you to realize is that if you look at the scripture here in this portion of scripture, I want you to think about this. Think about it this way for a moment. If you took this scripture, this portion of scripture, these 11 verses, and you threw them away, would it do anything to your Bible? I'm going to say yes and no. The no is that it wouldn't do anything to change the story at all. The reason why it would mess you up is because you would miss the grace of God in such a beautiful way. You would miss a picture, and what happens is the people who have studied, you know, people that are a lot smarter than I and you, I think, you know, some of you, I don't know. You know, people that have studied this Bible and have looked through the scriptures, they have said they, they believe that these scriptures are definitely something that occurred. They're just not exactly sure where they go. And I'm going to give you an example of my own life. The other, for those of you that know, we went through the adoption process a couple of years ago. And as we were going through the adoption process, one of the things that you have to do is you have to do something called a home study. And so when they do the home study, they come to your house. And we thought they just walked around the house, looked at the house, make sure everything is safe, that you're ready for the baby to come. So we thought we were good. But they actually sit down with you, and that portion 
takes 10 minutes of the two-hour visit. And the rest of the time, what they're doing is they're finding out about you. And so they ask me my life story. Hello, somebody. So for those of you that know my life story, I got a lot of story to tell, right? So I'm going through this story, and I never forget it. This is the first time that I ever tried to tell someone my life story, and I tried to be chronological about it, right? And so as I'm communicating some things that happened, now she's taking notes and she's typing away. I got to some portion in my story, and she was like, okay, you said this happened in this grade, but you said this happened over here. And I was like, I know it happened. I'm not exactly sure where it happened, but I know this happened around here. And so she helped me kind of put things back into perspective. My point is I use that to point out the same thing here is that this is something that definitely happened, something that we can look at. We can see the grace of God and we can see what God did in this woman's life. And it is, and it is something that is not, they're not totally sure where it occurred exactly, but they put it here in some, in some older translations. You might find it in the Gospel of Luke. The point is this is something that happened and it's something that we can see some beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. And so the last paragraph here, and then we'll continue on. In our study of the real Jesus, in this story, we find a powerful gospel picture of how God's law, our conscience, and Jesus interact in bringing deliverance to those bound in sin, caught in sin, and condemned by sin to eternal suffering. God's grace is beautifully seen in this account. I want to read that again. In our study of the real Jesus, we're talking about the real Jesus and who he is, right? We're talking about who Jesus is and, and, and what he has done for us. And in this story, we find a powerful gospel picture. If you want to see the gospel clearly, let me pause here. If you want to see the gospel clearly, we're going to look at it in these 11 verses and really see the gospel playing out. We see this picture of how God's law, our conscience, and Jesus interact in bringing deliverance to those who are bound in sin, caught in sin, condemned by sin to eternal suffering. God's grace is beautifully seen in this account. So if I give you one big idea, one sentence, you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. I'll say it slow and I'll repeat it a couple of times. Jesus is the only hope of salvation for those caught in their sin. That's the big idea. We look at this portion of scripture. Jesus is the only hope of salvation for those who are caught in sin. I'll say it one more time for those of you taking notes. Jesus is the only hope of salvation for those who are caught in their sin. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's law condemns us all. God's law condemns all of us. Every one of us is condemned under God's law. Let's just look at verses 3 through 7 here really quickly. It says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And so what do we see here? We see Jesus 
Again, he's, in this, he's at this feast and he's teaching. And as he's going through this teaching, the Pharisees and these people are doing everything they can to discredit him. They're doing everything they can. They're trying to trip him up in things that he's saying. People are hearing what Jesus is communicating and they're confused. They're not sure what to believe. And so finally, you know, these guys, they have a moment here and they're like, you know what? We're going to catch him up right here. We're going to bring him this woman that is caught in adultery. We're going to bring him a situation where there is no way out of it where he looks good. Right, and that—I mean—that's—that's—that's that's what they were trying to do. There's no way. There's nothing he can do. If he—if he stones her, he looks bad. If he denies the law, he looks bad. And so we're gonna put him between a rock and a hard place. And what does Jesus do? He just stoops down. Right. He says, you, you can't, you're not going to catch me up, right? What does he do? He stoops down to the ground, and he acts like they're not even talking to him. He goes ahead, he starts writing on the ground, he gets up, and he asks him this most famous question, or he says this most famous statement, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. He who doesn't have sin, and it's the same thing for us when we think about sin and condemnation, but here's what happens is God's law is a general condemnation of all mankind. By the law, we see sin clearly. What did Paul say? Paul said, I wouldn't have known sin unless the law showed me. In other words, I wouldn't have known what adultery was unless the law showed me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known what being covetous was unless the law showed me. It's the same thing. For those of you that have gone through our phase two in our mentoring program, you've learned some things, right? You've learned about the importance of God's law because what does God's law do? God's law shows us that every one of us is equally sinful. Amen, somebody. What God's law does, it shows us that none of us has the right to pick up the proverbial stone and cast it at anyone else, no matter how holy you get. Hello. Right? Because sometimes we think we've gotten holy enough and suddenly we're, we can start um, casting stones, not the truth. And so by the law, we see sin clearly for what it is and how we all fall short of the glorious expectation of God's holy standards. When we look into God's law and we look at it clearly, see, I was thinking about this for, and, and as, as I was going through my mind, I don't, I don't have such a big issue, just, just me personally, I, I've just, you know, confessed to you. I don't have a huge issue, and most people will probably agree with this, I, I, I would think. And I have a huge issue with the things that God says no to, right? Like, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Like, those things, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know where I get caught up in? The things that God says I should do. Are you here? Uh, see, now it's starting to click. Oh, wait, yes, that, yeah, yeah, amen, we're all like that. Right, most of us, see, that's why some of us think, like, hey, I can be holy. I can, I can keep this law perfectly. Yeah, you can, you can do, uh, most of us, you know, and some, and, 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 and let me say this, because I say that I don't think that I have an issue with those things that I shouldn't do. I heard someone preach, the, he preached a series, and um, he, he was preaching a series, and he was talking about how to be perfect, right? And he was, what he was doing was he was going through the Ten Commandments, and I only got to, like, Commandment 4, and I didn't have time to listen to the rest of the series. The point is, by commandment four, I really understood, man, I, I really don't keep those thou shalt nots either. Hello. I started to really understand that when you really start to dig deeply into what God's standards are, his standards are much higher than what we think, right? That's why Jesus says, you know, just one example, Jesus says, you know, that we're not supposed to, it was, it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? That's what, that's what the law says. But then Jesus breaks it down for you and he says, but if a man looks at a woman to lust at her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. So what does Jesus do? Jesus raises that standard higher and says, guys, it's not about not doing the act, it's about not looking. At the, at, at the site. Hello. It's about not thinking the thought. So now he takes to a whole nother place because now you really got to deal with what? The internal, the, the, the internal part of you, not just about the thing you're doing on the outside. So it's not just about not touching it. It's about not desiring to. 
See the difference? God's standard is higher. When we talk about God being holy, we talk about the angels. We sang about it today. The angels in, in, in Isaiah 6 crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You've heard it said before. What they're saying is they're talking about the word holy meaning different. He is different. He is separated. There is not, it's not just that God does not sin. It's God does not desire sin. And when the Bible says, be ye perfect as I am perfect or as your heavenly father is perfect, what he is saying is, listen, you need to get to the place where you no longer desire sin. And here's the thing. You may not desire nine sins, but the one sin that you do desire, guess what? That condemns you of all ten. Hello, somebody. You see, so what the law does is it makes it crystal clear to us that we are what? That we are hopeless and we are helpless apart from what? The grace of God. We are, we are incapable of, of, of arriving to God's standards apart from his grace. And so the Pharisees' effort, that what they were trying to do was they were trying to trap Jesus by causing him to do what? To deny the law's validity, right? So the first thing they say, it is written in the law of Moses. This is, hey, this is big stuff here is what they're saying. It is written in the law of Moses that anyone who's caught in this sin, they need to be killed. My, my question is always this. Where was the guy? Right? Because the, the law of Moses says, well, there's, there's supposed, they, not her. Hello, somebody. Right? They brought her. Like, we caught her in the act. Was she doing it alone? Just saying, I'm just saying, right? You know, there's a bunch of guys. They're like, they're going to cover each other's back. They're going to kill the girl. But anyway, ultimately here, right? Horrible situation, but they bring her. So they, well, the law of Moses says this. And so the first thing is they're trying to get Jesus to deny the law. The second thing is they're trying to get him to deny the heart of justice, mercy, and faith. And what they ended up doing was they entrapped themselves as being equally sinful as the adulteress. Why? Because the law levels the ground. See, when we look at Jesus down on the ground and it says that he was writing in the ground, a lot of speculation has gone as to what was Jesus writing. Some people said that he was writing, you know, the Torah. You know, some people said that he was writing their particular sins out. And, I mean, it could have, Jesus could have been writing anything. We don't know what he was writing. All we know is this, is that they were condemned because what? Because the law levels the ground. Every one of us are equally sinful. Well, you know, she does this or he does that. Hold on a second. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all, we've all fallen short. The apostle Paul, he says something in Romans chapter 7 and in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He declares this about the law because some of us have heard or some of us may even think that the law is not good, right? But he, he makes it clear that the law is good when it is used lawfully. It must be used correctly in order for it to produce the designed fruit. What is God's law supposed to produce in us? Repentance. It's supposed to bring us to the place of repentance. When we look at God's holy law, it is supposed to bring us to the point where we understand his standard, right? And his grace is going to enable us to become more like our heavenly father. But what the law is supposed to do is it is supposed to bring us to the end of ourselves because we realize what? We realize that God's standards are much higher than ours. And so the apostle teaches us this. We must learn, and I, and, and I need you to get this when you talk about using the law. We must learn to use the law to draw people to Jesus, not destroy their hope. Are you hearing me? We must learn to bring people to the place where, listen, what the law should do, when you use the law correctly, you should leave me hopeless in myself. 
You should leave me understanding that I can do nothing to attain the holy standard of God, that I can do nothing to please God in myself. This is what, what should happen when I'm looking at the law. But what should happen is you shouldn't leave me hanging in the place of hopelessness. Hello, somebody. You should always bring me to that point where you help me to understand that I'm not hopeless if I put my hope in Jesus. That's what the law does. The second thing, repeat this after me. Say, man's conscience convicts all. Man's conscience convicts all. And so the first thing we understand is that God's law condemns all. The second thing we see is that man's conscience convicts all. Look at verses 8 through 9 with me. He says here, he says, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. So Jesus and the woman are left there alone. They're standing in the midst here. But it says that each of them, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, being convicted by their own conscience. So as they're standing there, something happened. When Jesus says this big question, he who has no sin, cast the first stone. If you don't have sin, cast the first stone. Jesus goes back down to writing in the sand. And then all of a sudden, everyone there is beginning one by one from the eldest to the youngest. They are one by one walking away because they are convicted. Well, the Bible tells us something in the, in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. You can just write that scripture down as a reference. But it tells us that the law of God that is written on our heart accompanied by our conscience does what? It confirms God's law. And so why is that so important? Why the law is general. See, the law in general, what happens is the law in general, it does what? It condemns all. All. Conviction is individual. You see, it wasn't just that they were condemned by the law. That wasn't enough for them because what? Because they thought, right, they were like, hey, we're, we're, we're not doing the things we're not supposed to be doing. We're, we're not doing that stuff, and we're trying to do the things that we're doing. So the law is an equal condemnation for everyone, but that wasn't enough for them because for some reason they felt righteous, but there was something else that was able to deal with them. It wasn't, it wasn't just the law, but it was the conviction that came from their conscience. And that's, what the, and that's what the conscience does. It convicts me individually about my sin. It's not just about general sin. It's about my sin. It's about me not having a right to do what? To cast the first stone because I realize within me that when I'm talking in general, right, when I'm saying things in general, that's one thing. But it's not just the general stuff that matters. It's my personal stuff. It's the personal things that are, in, that, that are within me, the personal things that I know that nobody else knows. Nobody else has to know those things that are going on inside of me. I know them, and I know those things inside of me that don't bring glory and honor to God the same way that you know those things inside of you that don't bring glory and honor to God. And you can try to hide them from whoever you want. And listen, you can do a great job of hiding them from everyone. There's two people you can't hide them from, the ones that matter the most. That's God and you. Hello. Because it's going to eat you up and God, your heavenly father, you know what he's doing? He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to trust him for those things that no one else knows about. But those things that your conscience is convicting you of, those things that let you know where you are wrong, those things that let you know that you are not honoring God in these areas. See, God's, God has written, and this is important for you to realize, is this the reason why I gave you Romans 2.15? God has written his law upon our hearts. Our conscience bears witness to this reality. Man can deny God all he wants. In other words, our friends that are atheists that say that they don't believe in God, they can deny God all they they want, but the existence of a conscience proves God's existence and even his operation in their life. Did you get that last part? 
It's not just that God is existent. It's not just that God exists, but even he is working in their lives. The fact that they are, that they have this conscience, that there's something that is triggering them to feel guilt and feel bad. You know what that is proof of? That is proof of God working in their life, no matter how atheist they are. Hello. No matter how much they want to deny God, no matter how much they want to dishonor God, it doesn't matter. God is working in their heart. And that's why the scripture says only fool says that there is no God. Because only a fool would deny the reality of what goes on inside of them. They may not, Listen, it would be better to say, you know, I don't, I'm not totally sure on stuff than to just flat out deny God because at least you're accepting the reality that he is working, that there is something going on that you don't fully understand. And so what we realize is that the man's conscience convicts all. Just as these Pharisees, notice, they were humbled by the conviction of the law within their conscience and they refused to unjustly judge another, so should we be humbled as we are are personally convicted of our own sin and we should be humbled to the point of compassion for others with the gospel you see when we when we are confronted with our sins see I'll I, I tell you when I first became a Christian I've, I've told you guys this story before but we have some guests here so you can hear it again and you know you'll hear it for the first time if you're a guest but when I when I first became a Christian I mean I was radically saved I mean got saved out of a crazy lifestyle and so when I came to Jesus I was one of those guys I never forget you know I was always like oh, I'm not gonna be a hypocrite right you know you've heard those guys maybe you were that guy I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm either going to be all in or all out. And so when I, got, when I gave my life to Jesus, I was all in. Amen? All in, meaning like I had real prayer time. I was really in God's word. I was really memorizing scripture. I was really seeking God. I was really telling people about Jesus. Like, seriously, I was all in. And so I got around other people that I considered hypocrites. Hello. Because I was so holy. See, that's what happens, right? You get saved, you know, you, 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 I mean, you get radically rocked by Jesus and all of a sudden, no one else is holy enough for you. All of a sudden, no one else is at your level, right? Because you always got an answer. I just talk a lot. Hello. I'm saying it. I, you, you can laugh. I said it. Glory to God. Right? I just, I always had something to say. Always had an answer. Bible study class, boom, my hand is the first one up. Why? Because I'm reading my Bible. It's time to pray. Let me pray, glory to God. Why? Because I'm always praying. I mean, I was holy, holy, holy. Well, I was two holy, not three holies. That's reserved for God. I was holy, holy. Right. I was, I, I was whole. I mean, I was, but then I, I never forget my first time going to New York, had an amazing experience up there. I was 30 years old and my mentor that he came down, he, he lived in New York. He moved down here and he was only here for like a short period of time. I don't remember how long, but he was here for a short period of time and he made this huge impact in my life. And I remember, you know, when I, I always stood in contact with him, you know, I kept his number. I would call every once in a while. And so I had told him, hey, man, I'm coming to New York, and I would love to see you. And so he came over, and we, we went and had dinner together. And I'll never forget, we're having a conversation, and he's talking about, you know, we're talking about stuff. And he's like, yeah, I was talking to someone, and I was like, yeah, you know how Jason is. And I'm like, I like hit me. I was like, Jason's holy. What do you mean? What do you mean, you know how Jason is? Like, what, 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 what's up with that? Like, I, I was like, bro, I, that, that, like, took all the wind out of my sail. Like, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, 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 I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, and, you know, you had a little chip on your shoulder. Nobody could tell you anything. I'm like, what? I'm like, I was, no, 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 no. There's no way. I was holy glory to God, right? <laughs> I was seeking Jesus. Listen, I say this to tell you this. In all sincerity, in all in in, in, in in reality, I was really 
seeking Jesus. I wasn't faking. I was really seeking him. You know what the problem was? I just wasn't him. Hello. That's, the, that's what it boiled down to. I was really seeking him, but I wasn't as holy as God. No matter how holy I thought I was. And you know what happened? Those who were more mature than me in the faith, you know what they saw? They saw all the stuff Jesus was doing. And you know what? It was funny because the reason why I would have never thought that he had any kind of thought like that about me was because he used to let me teach Bible study. Like I would open up the classes because he would get there late from work. And you know, because I always had something to say because I was always in my Bible and I was always praying. I just felt like I should go to the front of the class and hey, I'll just run this for a little while. And so I'll tell you what I've been reading in my Bible. <laughs> Amazing, right? Glory to God. I know. I know y'all didn't know that about me, but it's okay. Now you know. The point is I would get up in the front and I would start opening up my Bible and he would slip in the back and he would sit in the back there and I'd be going off and then, you know, and about once I noticed him, I was like, all right, I'm done. And so I'd be, and he's like, no, 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 keep going. I'm like, no, 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 you go ahead. You good. You good. I was so humble. Such a humble guy, man. I was like, no, you're the teacher. I'm just, I'm just here, you know. The thing is, I didn't realize how sinful I was. Even though I was seeking Jesus, I was still, and, and can I say am still? Not I was. I still am a work in progress. Amen, somebody? Like I haven't arrived. Now I realize how unholy I am. I just let it out there. I'm just letting you all know. There's no question, right? I'm just, I'm not the most holy one in the room. I'm just saying. But the, the point is that I didn't realize this, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't get, it wasn't that I wasn't seeking Jesus, and it's the same thing for us, that as we are seeking him, right, as we're, we, we can become like these Pharisees. And we start condemning everyone who doesn't know the answers we know. We start treating people like they're beneath us, and that shouldn't be the mindset. What should happen is, as we look at God's law, as we are convicted by our conscience, we should be humbled to the point that we realize we all fall short of the glory of God, and we want to help everyone we can with this gospel that we've been entrusted with and saved by. Amen? The third thing I'll ask you to say this with me is say, Jesus offers compassion to all. And so we see that we are condemned by the law, we are convicted by our conscience, and then Jesus offers compassion to all of us. And so the last two verses that we'll read here, let's read verses 10 and 11. It says, when Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, this story illustrates the central dilemma of salvation by grace alone, and it is this, how justice and mercy can be harmonized without encouraging sin and condemning sinners. You see, the big struggle that we have when we talk about salvation by grace alone is that we realize this is what? Is that we are all sinners, right? We're born into sin. We know this. We hear this weekly. All of us are born into sin. We just talked about the law. The law condemns us all under our sin. And, and, and the reality is that we are separated from God because of our sin. We are on our way to hell because of our sin. And we can do nothing about that. No matter how religious we become, no matter how much money we give, no matter how much we do, no matter what, we can do nothing to... to 
to separate this separation from God. But the beauty of it is that God doesn't ask us to do anything for ourselves. What he does is he provides a way through his son Jesus who dies in our place. He takes the penalty of our sin. He suffers in our place. And that way we don't have to experience that because we're not good enough to experience that type of suffering anyway. We can't save ourselves. He dies. He, he, he is resurrected, rises on the third day. He is seated in glory and he offers us new life. We realize this, right? This is what the gospel communicates to us. And so what we have is we have Jesus here who is offering what? He's offering us salvation free of cost to us. We're not going to do anything to pay for it. Can you pay for your salvation? No. Jesus paid for our salvation. But here's the problem. The dilemma is when we talk about that, then we can come into this mindset, well, you know what, if Jesus paid for all of my sin and I can do nothing to earn my salvation, and then, you know, if, you know it, it, when, when, you, when you embrace that thought process, then you can come into the place where you think, well, I can just live how I want to live. I can just live how I want to live. It doesn't matter because what? Jesus paid for all my sins. I can live unholy. I can live however I feel to live. I don't have to obey the law. That is not truth. Hello, somebody. You see, when we look at this, it is the central dilemma that we have within the church today. If we're going to talk about grace, see, because if I'm talking about being saved by grace, when I talk about salvation, there's those three parts of salvation, right? I'm saved, I'm justified, I'm sanctified, being sanctified, right? This is the process that I'm walking in, and then I'm going to be glorified, right? Meaning, and later on, I'm going to, when I die or Jesus comes, whichever one happens first, then I'll be glorified with him. This is all the work of salvation. So when I say I'm saved, I'm saying, that I've been justified. I'm saying that I'm being sanctified. I'm saying that I will be glorified. And if I look at Romans, it says, you know, I've been called, I've been justified, and I'll be glorified. And so all of these things are things that God has done, right? And so when we look at that, it is easy for us to forget how important it is for us to look at how Jesus deals with sin. How does Jesus deal with sin? Does he tell this woman, hey, you know what, just go ahead and live how you want to live. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of that in a few, six months from now, Right? Is that, is that how Jesus deals with sin? See, the, 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 the question that comes for us is how should a grace-filled, gospel-centered community address sin? The gospel teaches us that we should never judge for the sake of judgment but the purpose of salvation. You see, the problem is when these Pharisees brought her, they didn't care about her salvation. They wanted to judge her. And more importantly, they could care less about her. It wasn't even about justice. It was about tricking Jesus. Hello. Their issue was wrong judgment. Their issue was they wanted to condemn people to death. That is problematic. Are you hearing me? See, when, when, when people in our day say that we should not judge because Jesus said you should not judge, this is the type of judgment that's being referred to. The type of judgment that has no mercy, the type of judgment that is like, look, I just want to condemn you. But the, the reason why we judge is for what? It is to bring salvation to someone's life. The reason why we call sin, sin is for what? To let someone know it is not okay for you to be a liar. Are you here? I know we have all these huge sins, but can I tell you something? Go to the back of the book. Go to the book of Revelation, and you want to know who's going to spend time in hell? Those who are liars, well, it's okay to lie. It is not okay to lie. Hello. It is not okay not to tell the truth. You know, we think, well, there's white lies. There's no such thing. Listen, a lie is a lie. Jesus died for white lies, black lies, blue lies, purple lies, all lies. Are you here? Every lie put Jesus on the cross. Well, I'm trying to say, listen, tell the truth. That's what's supposed to happen. The reality is that someone thinks I can live as a liar. I can do my, well, my job requires me to lie. Get a new job. 
Or figure out a way to do your job without lying. I've given you all my wife's testimony. My wife is a, is, a, is a recruiter, and she's been recruiting forever. And can I tell you something? The recruiters are known as what? Headhunters. Hello, somebody. All right? There's a reason why they have this negative connotation is because they they're do what? Not, not all of them. Let me just say this right now. My wife is one of the examples of this. Not all of them are like this, but many of them, they could care less about what you're really getting into when you're going to a job. You know what they care about? The commission check they get. Hello. So you know what that requires you to do? That requires them to sell you the moon. Hello. You ain't getting the moon. You're getting something else. But they're trying to sell you the moon, tell you everything you're going to get. And so they lie. They're deceitful because it's all about what? It's all about placing a person. People who work in sales, you're given the opportunity to do what? To tell the truth or to do what? Or to lie to try to make the sale look more appealing. Here is the thing. We are called to be people of truth. And so what we have to do is we call sin, sin. Why? Because we want to make you feel, about your, feel bad about your lies. Now, those of you that, you know, are, are lying in your job, you're like, man, I feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to repent. I want you to know there's hope in Jesus, but I want you to know as well, you continue as a liar, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I said. And I don't care what prayer you prayed. I don't care how many altars you visited. I, I don't care about any of that stuff. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus makes it clear in the book of Revelation that is there. He makes it clear. Liars are going to do what? They're going to have their time in hell. And it's not like a week and then they get out. Hey, you did a week and now you go, no, that's not it. It's eternity. But why do we tell people this? Why do we tell people, hey, man, you can't, you know, be in adultery? Why do we tell people that you can't be covetous? Why do we tell people, why, why do we tell, why do we call sin, sin? Is it to make someone feel bad? No, it's to let them know they're in a bad situation. It's to let them understand the condemnation that they're under, and that is the reason. So when Jesus is here in this conversation with this woman, he is doing what? He's trying to, he's not trying to just bring condemnation to her life. He's trying to bring salvation to her life. I want you to picture this, because when I looked at this story, and it just happened to me today, when I was reading over the scriptures, I was meditating and getting ready this morning, but I noticed something in this picture. At the end of the picture, there are two people there, the most holy and the most unholy. There are two people in the picture. The one who had all the right in the world to pick up the stone and stone her. And the one who deserved to be stoned because she was caught in the very act of adultery. See, all the jokes aside, regardless of the fact that whether the man was there or not, if she was caught in the act and these people were really witnesses and she was going to be what? Condemned to death because that's what the law, Jesus hadn't died yet, that's what the law required. And so Jesus is there with this woman, and he could have stoned her and been well within his right. And you know what? You couldn't have been mad at him. I couldn't have been mad at him. Jesus could have done it. But you know what he does? Instead of that, he says, where are, you, where are those people who condemn you? Where are they? They're not here. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go sin no more. That is how you deal with sin. You don't deny sin. You address sin. You call people to repentance of sin. And you call them to live a holy life, to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus you lovingly communicate to them what the Word of God shows us. There is definitely hope in Christ. There is definitely hope in Jesus. See, here's the thing. In our pursuit of holiness, and this, this is where it comes home for us, and we have to realize this. In our pursuit of holiness, our hearts must beat with compassion for those who are bound in sin, and we must never forget, no matter how holy we become, that we were all caught in our sin and our Savior offered us compassion. See, everyone in this room, listen, here's the thing. If you know Jesus, you know what? He caught you in your sin. Are you here? You may not have been committing adultery when he caught you, 
You may have been doing whatever it was, but guess what? He caught you in your sin, and he offered you compassion. And so we should be doing, is we should be doing the same thing. When we catch people in sin, it's not that, yeah, I told you so. It's not that, you know, condemning, coming down on them. It's communicating with them. There's a Savior who died for them and wants to offer them eternal life. Amen? Here's my closing question for you. Where do you see yourself most often in this gospel picture? Do you see yourself as the condemning Pharisee? Do you see yourself as the person caught in their sin? Do you see yourself as the person offering compassion? You see, if you're the person that is sitting here and you're like, man, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I'm that Pharisee. I'm always condemning people. Listen, I already, I, already told, I already alluded to it. If you didn't hear it, let me make it crystal clear. Probably one of my greatest sins that I struggled with and still struggle with at times is being what? Judgmental. It's being condemning of others. Just is what it is, right? Because what? Because I, I have a good week, and so I see you're having a bad week. Hey, man, you need, you need help. I, ca- I catch you. <laughs> yeah, I, t- I tell them you need Jesus. That's it. I, I, my, my, my connect group will tell you, right? But I also tell them how much I need Jesus because I need him more than you guys need him. Hello. I deal with all y'all. I'm just kidding. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> Listen. Are you that Pharisee? Are you always condemning people, never really offering them the hope of salvation? Are you always criticizing everyone, criticizing everything? If that's you, you know what God calls you to do? God calls you to repentance. He calls you to do what? He calls you to look in that mirror of his word and recognize how sinful you are. Recognize how desperately you need Jesus, how desperately you need the gospel, and what? He calls you to repent of that. You know what? If you're that other person, if you're the, if you're the one that's caught in your sin, you're the one that's always caught in your sin, hello. If you're that person, you know what Jesus does? He offers you the same opportunity to repent and trust in him. He offers you the same opportunity, the same one that he gave to this woman. He's not here to condemn you. He died in your place so that way you could experience his grace. Amen? And if you're that person who's offering compassion, continue to pray for the rest of us that are Pharisees and adulteresses. Hello. Let's all stand on our feet and let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for this day, God. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace, for your kindness toward us, Lord God. And Father, I just come to you, Lord, praying for your people, Lord God, and for those in here that may not know you, Lord. Heavenly Father, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that you would give them a heart of repentance, Lord God, that they would turn from their sin, that they would trust in you and what you did on the cross for them, God. I pray that they would obey, Lord God, what they sense in their heart, that they need you, Lord, that they would cry out to you today. And I pray in response, Lord God, as your word declares, Lord God, that those who call upon your name shall be saved. I pray that they would experience your saving grace today. I pray, Lord God, for those of us that are in this place that struggle with sin in different areas of our lives. Father God, I pray for victory over those sins. I pray for victory over those areas where we have been bound, Lord God, those those besetting sins, Lord God, that continue to trip us up. Father God, let us repent of those and let us run to you and trust you, Lord God, to overcome them, Lord Jesus. For those of us, Lord God, that are just Pharisees at heart, Lord God, who condemn others to death, Lord God, who are judgmental, Lord. Father, forgive us and help us, Lord God, not to be overly critical of others, my God. Help us to see others through eyes of compassion. And above all, Lord God, let us recognize that plank in our own eyes, my God, that we would be able to assist those to get that speck out of theirs, my God. Father, help us, Lord God, to walk in holiness as you are a holy God 
and help us to do as you command this woman to do, and that is to sin no more. Father, we honor you today, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's